Mike, and thank you for joining me for this episode of Amateur All Tours. You can follow the show on Twitter at All Tours Pod. Email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at the Amateur All Tours Podcast at gmail.com. And hey, we're on Spotify now, so hopefully uh, you can find us on there as well as iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, and whatever place you listen to the show on. So we got a little something different. I feel like I've been saying that a lot lately. Um, but, uh, I got this idea for a segment like this, uh, the other night when I couldn't sleep very well, and I'm thinking about calling this, like, hot takes or just kind of like this format, and that a lot of times, especially recently, uh, you guys know of my letterbox, and I've been trying to watch a new movie every, at least one new movie every week, and a lot of the time, especially when I watch something that's been on my list for a while, I get hit with this inspiration that I'm like, I want to talk about this movie. I want to talk about this movie. It's kind of like the beauty of, uh, of cinema, in my opinion, where a lot of the time it just sparks the conversation immediately. But then I, I, I feel like I want to write a script and then finding the time to sit down and write a full-fledged script with, you know, being a night shift worker, life, um, you know, it's it just, I find it very difficult, especially when it's just me to sit out and try and get my thoughts down and then kind of it fizzles out and uh, I don't really have the time to talk about the movies I want to talk about. So I'm hoping that this new segment or, or whatever we're doing right here, uh, I'm thinking of hot takes because it's just going to be an unfiltered take on whatever I have just seen. You know, very little editing, if any at all, maybe just try and block out the silence of me just trying to collect my thoughts. But um. Yeah, it's really going to be anywhere. I'm speaking into my phone right now, so the audio is probably not as as great as it would be if I had my microphone. But, uh, you know, that's kind of the uh, what Hot Takes is going to be. So for this, uh, for this, I guess, moment of Hot Takes, there's two things I want to talk about. Uh, the first one uh, is, is a, a film that I just watched the other day called The Duelist, Ridley Scott's first film. And I also want to talk about a TV show that many of you may have seen, and uh, that would be Dexter New Blood, The Return of Dexter. And uh, I want to and I, and I talk about these two especially because I had such a very vivid reaction to both of them. Uh, the Duelist, definitely a very positive experience, and Dexter New Blood was mostly positive till the goddamn end, and it's almost like a 180 on that show. So uh, I want to start positive and talk about The Duelist, Ridley Scott's first direct, like directorial debut, I did not realize, um, with uh, Robert Carradine and Harvey Keitel as our like titular duelists. Um, I had heard about this movie, and I, it was on, it was, I have a book of, you know, 500 essential cult movies that everyone has to see. I remember seeing The Duelist on there, and it ranked pretty highly in like the drama section, and I, uh, you know, it was on my list to see. And I actually watched a, it, it, it was um, a VFX artist react, or maybe it was a sword. It, it was from the, the YouTube channel uh, Corridor Digital. And they have these, uh, they're all VFX artists, and they have this segment called VFX Artist React, or like Stuntman React, or Blank React. And, and I think this video was uh, Swords, Swordsman React, where they brought two 
uh, professional uh, swordsmen or, or like like uh, stunt performers with swords, and they break down fight scenes. And I think in this particular episode, it was then they broke down Troy, the Princess Bride, and the Duelist. And one of the things that struck me about their breakdown is just the level of detail that went into like this period piece of Duelist. So it. Watching that film, like, you know what, let me just see what it's on. I, I found it on uh, Canopy, the library streaming service. So for those of you who don't want to rent it and you have a library card, and if you're participating library, you know, has a Canopy, I highly recommend Canopy. It's, it's all free movies. Uh, it's just awesome. So I was able to watch it, and I was completely blown away. By the film. So the film takes place uh, during uh, the Napoleonic Wars, um, and it stretches over 30 years. And it essentially between these two duelists, Robert Carradine and Harvey Keitel, starts as this very small squabble that just kind of erupts into this long, decades-spanning feud that is pretty much it's it's very one-sided by uh, Harvey Keitel, but it's all about the sense of honor and this, and the sense that someone was wrong and they have to be righted through violence, through these duels. And, uh, and I was very, not, I don't want to say I was surprised. I, I was just amazed at how much I was sucked into this film. In the, obviously, we have the, the amazing performances from our two leads. And I really love how they weren't trying to do like an affected accent or something real. And I was reading something that Ridley Scott actually made this very purposeful because, you know, making period pieces can be very difficult. Not that I have any experience in that, but just for filmmakers, you know, doing their shot at it, they either, I mean, there's obviously the spectrum of, of period pieces, but, you know, it can, it can fall flat. And, and I really appreciate the detail that, you know, Ridley Scott says, you know what, we're not going to try and do these accents, these period-specific accents, because it's just going to be distracting and get away from the story. So he just lets his actors do what they do best, and 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 it helps the audience get sucked into the movie. Um, I also really love the attention to the details of the fights. They aren't these long, drawn-out you know, James Bond-esque, like, uh, action movie duels. I think one duel is maybe, mm, 10 seconds long, and, and going from that quarter digital video, that's exactly how long these duels would go, and I think it, it speaks to something that this duel, or these duels last anywhere from 10 seconds to, I don't know, in, I mean, in, in, in the film, some of them are actually really drawn out. But we only see anywhere, I think the longest duel, like with the sword, is um, maybe like two minutes, and maybe maybe three. Like, what I'm getting at is not very long, and you're just so engrossed in the action of what's happening right now. And um, I think, honestly, the most effective duel is the one that's ten seconds long, because it's so quick, it's so instant, and there's so much damage that comes from that quick ten seconds. And, um, and I, and I just, and I just love the, the way it was shot. I love the action. I love the story. And, um, I, I can't recommend the film enough. Um, I really want to do a deep dive in it. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of just doing these, again, hot takes. It's just my first instant 
uh, response to it, and I don't really uh, have my my detailed notes and my thoughts collected, but I just really want to praise the film. And if anyone hasn't seen this film, check it out because it really is engrossing, and it is art, and it's just like such a a piece of art that I think people need to see, especially for. I'm not surprised from Ridley, the director Ridley Scott, but I was more surprised that this is his first film. And I think reading a little bit more the the backstory of the film, or of it just being made, um, you know, he he had to adapt uh, a very specific story, and the studio was very tight with the limitations that he was going that they put on him to make this film. Um, and it's just it, it is just a work of art that had me completely engrossed, and it's just something that I think everyone needs to see. So I would give this, uh, I guess from Letterboxd, I gave it a five out of five stars. Um, out of, I guess, the Amateur Auteurs review, I would give it uh, a nine out of ten. It's, like, honestly a near-perfect movie. I was, I was very, very surprised that, I knew it was going to be a great movie. I just didn't think it was going to be, like, a, a nine out of ten, five out of five. Um but yeah, really enjoyed the movie. Highly recommend. So now I kind of want to get to, I guess, it's the the show or the 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 piece that really made me want to kind of do hot takes because I had such a visceral visceral reaction to Dexter New Blood. So for those of you who aren't aware, Dexter New Blood came out in 2022, I believe, maybe late 2021, um, and it was the I guess the quote-unquote new f- final season of Dexter. Dexter, of course, the Michael C. Hall character, uh, ser- serial killer who kills killer- killers, serial killers. Uh, Showtime uh, show that was very popular, but I think is a perfect example of a show that has no clear direction of where it wants to go. And it, the show just declines over time, despite the actors doing the best that they absolutely can with pretty much no direction. Um, you know, I think arguably one of Michael C. Hall's most known and beloved performances. I mean, obviously Six Feet on, Under playing David. Um, that's like really early work for him. Um, but yeah, Dexter's probably one of his most well-known roles that everyone loves. I, I, that's obviously just my opinion, but... It's, it definitely seems like a lot of people really love the Dexter role. So uh, when the show ended, for those of you who haven't seen the show, I don't want to spoil it. I don't, I don't want to spoil the regular Dexter show, and I, but I will spoil New Blood because I can't talk about it without you know, spoiling it. But uh, I won't spoil the regular show. But let's just say the ending was uh, bullshit, <laughs> to put it mildly. Uh, I was not a fan of the original ending, and it's not because of where the character ends up or what happens. It just felt so blah and uninspired and just rushed. So think of now, here we are almost, I think it ended in late 2010, or, or I'm sorry, early 2010s, and show comes out. And, uh, or they're, or they're saying, you know, now we're returning to the Dexter. One, I immediately thought, I mean, why, why now? But I guess they just wanted to 
you know, try and fix the errors of the way they brought original showrunners. I think it was Clyde Phillips, who was one of the head writers, show or show creators of the first four seasons, arguably the most successful of the show, especially season four with Trinity Killer. Um, uh, they, they, you know, he was, this guy, Clyde Phillips was responsible for, um, season one, uh, season two, like Bay Harbor Butcher, season three, Skinner wasn't that great, but in my opinion, but Trinity obviously is what is, is kind of the pinnacle peak Dexter, what everyone thinks about. I thought Trinity was okay. I mean, I thought in the beginning it, it was a lot better, but then as it kind of went on, it devolved to a, a, a be it awesome finale of, uh, season four. But however, I digress. So we're back to New Blood. So New Blood takes place, uh, I guess, 10 years after. Like, pretty pretty much follows the same timeline as we're in right now. Um, so it takes place 10 years after. Dexter is now re- relocated into rural upstate New York, which is kind of fun because my buddy's got a cabin in upstate New York. And um, longtime listeners of the show will remember I mentioned the cabin. Me and my buddy had our own, like, somewhat deliverance story there. Um in, in the fact that we went kayaking in a spot that we probably shouldn't have, and it turned into like a little bit more of a, an excursion than we would have liked. But anyway, uh, Dexter is held up in upstate New York, and I'm gonna now I'm gonna be spoiling the show, so because I can't not spoil the show without like kind of getting into the main premise of what's happening. So um, his son Harrison comes back into the show. And it's and it's the whole dynamic of Dexter becoming a father again and almost like coming to terms with being like a, I don't want to say a deadbeat dad because with the context of the show he left because he left because he had he was on the run and he thought that anyone that he was with couldn't have a normal life. Um, so Harrison comes back. Uh, Hannah has died of cancer or something, whatever way they got to write her off and get him on. And uh, and the whole show is Dexter kind of reawakening. He supposedly hasn't killed anyone since uh, he left Miami, and so 10 years, and he's kept it at bay, but he uh, finally starts killing again, um, and then Harrison comes back in, and he almost wants to... Re- and he starts realizing that Harrison also has this dark passenger, these dark, psychotic uh, thinkings that Dexter had. And he wants to help his son, but he's having a, he's conflicted of how he wants to do it, if he wants Harrison to go down pretty much his line of work. And uh, it's pretty gripping stuff. I have to say, the, the show is ten episodes, and the first nine, it, it stays true to the, uh, the melodrama that is Dexter. You know, Dexter isn't groundbreaking in its writing, but it is, like, a very fun, and uh, it's just a fun escape. And it, and it does delve into some really unique character stuff. And, and, I, and uh, I think the dichotomy with uh, Clancy Brown, who plays a really awesome uh, Kurt Caldwell uh, main villain in this in this show, that, like, who was, he's, he's, he's not the mayor, I don't think he's the mayor, but I, he owns a diner, and he has a lot of power in the community. And and I really like that dynamic. Clancy Brown, obviously phenomenal actor, and he plays the welcoming psychopath, or maybe the welcoming, charming psychopath extraordinarily well. Um, 
and uh, he really plays into like his fatherly side as the character, and it works stupendously well. And I really love that the, the dichotomy between uh, and the struggle that Dexter has that he feels like he's losing Harrison to Kurt. And uh, I and and I I really love all that stuff. I I really liked uh, the kid that played Harrison. Supernatural, really really phenomenal job. Uh, I really liked the town of Iron Lake that they were in. Um, it was just small enough that I felt like all these like small town politics like felt real and uh, not forced. And 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 I do have to admit the characters the um, the character who is. Uh, Dexter's new love interest. Um, she did. She she was she she suited the role, but I got some uh, I got some problems with the character of Angela, <laughs> especially in the later half. So yeah, I don't really have much of a problem with the first nine episodes, and I heard that they bungled the ending twice, and I was really hoping that that was just some hype that wasn't really true, and and, and I kind of figured that. It wasn't going to end super great, uh, but, you know, they had a lot of momentum going into the, the finale, and uh, and then we get to the finale. Um, so, I'm trying to figure out how, how I start this. So, I guess, so for the first nine episodes, so we end episode nine with Dexter and Harrison teaming up, Dexter brings Harrison in to the, um, I guess, the family trade. Harrison, throughout the show, definitely had um, exhibited those dark tendencies. He joined the wrestling team. He broke a kid's arm after he beat him. He um, he set up an entire situation with uh, one of his friends that was also severely bullied. And, uh, you know, they were set up that he would be like a, like a, a school shooter, and Harrison attacked him and set it up that he was the hero and that the kid was going to shoot up the bullies. Um, kind of a bizarre turn, but, you know, it works for, like, it's, it in how Dexter is written in the context of Dexter and, like, the tone, overall tone of Dexter, it works. Um, and, uh, and, and the overall mystery is, like, with Kurt Caldwell is that he's been kidnapping uh, runaways and it's a little underdeveloped, I have to admit, because we, fi- we figure all this shit out in, in the ninth episode, why Kurt Caldwell is, um, is kidnapping these people, in that uh, he's kidnapping these runaways because he, he thinks it's some warped justice that he's preserving them and saving them from, the, from like the, the trauma of the world. You know, it's typical Dexter villain fashion, um, and, and it's and it is good to juxtapose that with Dexter, although it's not like it's it's this idea of some self righteous code that they think they're doing good, and um, and so and a lot of the the, the the drama gets kicked on too because Dexter his first vil- or his first kill. That gets him back into it is he kills Kurt Caldwell's son because he's like a jack off and he uh, he killed some people like by accident but he hit it you know typical Dexter he's a bad guy that got away with it and shows no remorse for it and that and but what's interesting is Kurt doesn't he starts lying that his son's there he's paying off people to like uh, stay in a hotel as his son 
And what's interesting is that Kurt doesn't really care about his son. He only does it because uh, he killed Angela's best friend like 25 years ago as his first victim. And, they, and he was afraid that they're going to find her body. So he did this whole cover-up job so they wouldn't go search these caves uh, where the body was. You know, not as it's a little convoluted, but it works. And so uh, there, there comes this feud with Dexter and Kurt when Kurt figures out that Dexter um, has killed his son, uh, Matt, I believe. And it's whatever. You go with it. It's, it's you know, it gets the plot going. Uh, some of the points are kind of dumb. Dexter ends up burning the body, and uh, Kurt somehow, like, he, he burns it in the, um, I guess, the dump or something, and then he says, oh, titanium doesn't melt. And he's referencing, like, I guess Matt had, like, a leg surgery with, like, screws in his leg from, that, from this accident where he killed people, and he found the screws in mint condition in the dump. I don't know. It's... Is, he's like, oh, it wasn't snowing. It was good when he burns the body. Oh, it wasn't snowing. It was ash. I'm like, how the fuck did you realize that? It's 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 contrived and dumb, but fuck it, whatever. It's Dexter. I'm going with it. So ninth episode, they get him on the kill room, and um, the kill room is in some bunker where he he restores these these women that he kills and preserves them. Whatever. It's Dexter. It's it, it fits the bill for Dexter. That's not this is the stuff that I'm not annoyed at. It's literally like I'm rolling with it. But when so then we kill uh, Kurt Caldwell, and and then Angela throughout the whole show, especially this is where it gets dumb, is that she starts making connections that Dexter is in fact the Bay Harbor Butcher, and this is when it starts to get really really dumb because. Yes, like, yes, she's right, but it's not through, like, she, she's not really established to be, like, necessarily a good cop. She's a determined cop, but she's not necessarily, like, good. And also, this is an entirely new character. It's not like LaGuardia in the original show, because LaGuardia gets pretty close to figuring out. Actually, she does figure out that Dexter is, was the Bay Harbor Butcher. But, like, she, that was, I think, season seven? So we understand the character of LaGuardia, um, you know, love her or hate her, like she did have like a pretty, especially from season one, she pretty, she had a pretty substantial arc uh, in her character growth from season one. But it makes sense that like, you know, she's a determined and a good cop and it's not just like this faulty evidence, you know, it's not circumstantial. And that's a problem is with Angela, we don't know her. It's not that we don't like her we just don't know her enough to be like yeah this is they haven't built the show hasn't built credibility for us to like Angela enough to be like yeah this is the one that's going to take Dexter down and and all the evidence is so circumstantial which gets which like kind of builds to the frustrating moments and, and like the fact that it's circumstantial is whatever because Dexter um because he can get out of it. It's, it's, and he even calls it out like this is all circumstantial. Whatever. You can't really do much about it. And, uh, and Angela, had, she, at some point she arrested Kurt Caldwell on, albeit it's a little bit more damning evidence, but it's still circumstantial. You know, they found evidence on the first body, and they said something like, oh, it's a 68% match that it's him. And it's, 
It's a weird number, but okay, whatever, I get it. So she arrests Dexter on uh, this whim that uh, she got a note. Well, so, so there's like inklings. Like, so Dexter, she finds out that uh, Dexter lied to her. So his real name, where he was going under an alias of Jim Lindsay, with Jeff Lindsay, the, the original author of the books. Uh, she finds out that, that his real name is Dexter. Um, and then, you know, she investigates some murders that Dexter was almost participating in, and she finds that the wheel marks and ketamine. She it's, it's very loose, but she connects that Dexter, he's lying, he bought ketamine from uh, a local vet, and uh, he was in Miami during the Bay Harbor Butcher days, and oh, there was doubt that it was... Uh, there's doubt that it was, in fact, James Dokes and that the Bay Harbor Butcher's still around. It's like, yes, you're right, but it's also circumstantial, and the leaps of logic that she goes through, does it, they don't feel earned. And it almost feels like, since we don't know this character, she's just ruining the fun, you know? And that's never a good sign. You know, we don't despise Dexter, which is the other problem, like, we all love Dexter. It's why we watch the show. It's why we hate the ending uh, of the original the original show. So when this when Angela comes in, it just feels like she's ruining the fun. And and the showrunners are asking the audience to go along with it, and they didn't earn that, you know, because the whole show we're focusing on Kurt Kurt Caldwell, Dexter, and Harrison. That this just seems tacked on at the very end, and it's not very well developed. Um, Batista makes a few cameos here and there, but even then it's not, it's not very, it's just, I always thought it was just that cameos, but he has like the damning cough, like the damning, uh, file of LaGuardia. I don't know. It just doesn't really make a lot of sense. And then, and again, these are my hot takes of the show, but, um, and then what else happens? Oh, the, the damning evidence, supposedly, uh, it goes back to this whole, idea of the screws, the titanium that don't melt. Um, Dexter's house gets burned down by Kirk Caldwell, and he leaves, uh, he left a note at Angela's house that said, oh, Jim Lindsay killed Matt Caldwell, and left the screws in there. And earlier, Dexter had one of the screws, and Angela finds the screw in the rubble perfectly, preserved and perfect, and, and it's just, just like right out for her to see. And she arrests De Dexter on that with so the evidence that she has against Dexter is that he fits the build of a infrared camera that uh, doesn't even show him killing Matt Caldwell. Um, just like nondescript evidence that he was there, and it's not even him. That he had a screw that was in that, that was specifically Matt Caldwell's, even though. There's evidence that they ha they know that Kirk Caldwell is on the run. They arrested him. He's a suspect in a 25-year old cold case murder. Um, they know that Kirk Caldwell burned his house down and, and probably left his screw there, and he's framed. You know, they lay it out. They lay it out um, perfectly. Dexter even says pretty much this is circumstantial. It won't stick. And all he has to do is wait because they don't have anything. They, uh, they released Kirk Caldwell when they had his DNA evidence on a body that was 25 years old. And they don't even have any concrete proof that Dexter killed this person. And 
And again, I know this sounds like I'm putting logic to it, but it just feels so unearned of what happens after this. So Dexter, all he has to do is just stay still, stay quiet, and not do anything. But what does he do instead? He kills one of the main side characters, completely out of character, because the whole time, you know, Dexter is, especially even in the show, he says, oh, I've the code, the code, the code. You have to follow, like, people who... People who don't fit the code, like, don't kill innocents. And then he kills, like, someone that... He kills uh, Logan, the, the cop, the side cop, uh, the side character's cop, the wrestling coach, the very well-rounded, nice guy. And it's just dumb. He, he, he beats him, he says, like, from the jail cell, he says, don't reach for your gun, give me your keys, I don't want to kill you. And then Logan pulls his gun and tries to shoot behind him, and then Dexter snaps his neck and kills him. And that's when you're like, oh, okay, well, he's desperate. He needs to get out of here. But it's there's no real danger that Dexter's caught. Like, there's nothing stuck. There's nothing that's sticking to him. There's no concrete evidence that Dexter did this. Even though, the obviously, the audience knows. Um, and even if Angela knows that he did it, there's no evidence to suggest that Dexter is guilty of anything that he that she's being that she's accusing him of. So then he escapes. He gets with Harrison, and Harrison kills him. Okay, that was. It's we all knew the show was going to end with Dexter. We all knew that, and maybe some people thought that Harrison was going to be the one that killed him. Conceptually. This works. Harrison kills Dexter, or that Dexter dies. But it just felt so fucking rushed, and it didn't feel earned. And that's the problem, is it didn't feel earned. And and uh, and it just felt so rushed at the end. And ultimately, and, and then, like, the most egregious part of this was that they that they put Dexter in a Christ-like pose when he dies. His arms are outstretched. He looks like Christ on a cross. And that also doesn't feel earned here. Like, it's supposed to be this big sacrifice for Harrison to have a normal life. But the problem is that Harrison doesn't have a normal life after this. He doesn't stay in Iron Lake. He doesn't get adopted by someone. He doesn't get, you know, taken in by someone that he's been close to. No, Harrison is on the run. And I guess it's this supposed to be this idea that like, he doesn't have the burden of Dexter anymore, but he's, but we still have this established dark tendencies, dark passenger, if you will, that Harrison has, and it's just going to be left unchecked? I don't know. It's supposed to end on this fruitful note of, hopeful note, that Harrison escaped, but it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel earned. It just feels like the time has been ruined, because the showrunner's ran out of time, which is fucking ridiculous, because if this was a movie, I would be a little bit more forgiving, I'd be like, okay, you have a two hour, two and a half hour runtime, you gotta clean it up, but they had ten fucking hours of this show to figure this out, and they dropped the ball yet again, and that's so frustrating, because they had so much momentum going into that final episode, with the great chemistry of just the screen presence of Michael C. Hall, Clancy Brown and the kid that played Harrison and just, you know, and just like the setting and the story so far, it was very strong and they were still able to bungle and fuck up the whole ending. So 
what, and that's just so frustrating. I, I tweeted out after I watched the show, like, why can't Dexter just nail the ending? It's not, I don't even think it's that difficult. I mean, I'm not a showrunner, but I don't know. There, there's just so many better ways for the show to end it, and it was just so frustrating to really be invested, and it just fucks it up at the end. Because, you know, season seven, eight, it didn't, um, it didn't even really, like, for Dexter, it didn't really even have that chemistry to begin with. But this show had it. It had that momentum, and they just dropped the ball entirely, which is the most frustrating part of the entire New Blood. And they had a lot of great ideas, and they had a lot of, you know, thematic stuff that they were delving into, and stylistic choices of the show. And it's so frustrating that it goes from a solid recommend to, you know... Uh, either a weak recommend and not recommend like so that i guess that goes into my closing thoughts of dexter new blood if you just want to go in and want to watch like the return of dexter go for it like they do really hit that for 90 percent of the show um up to honestly up to episode nine it's a it's a strong recommend i'd give it like a seven out of ten you know like a, a three out of five like it's it's like true dexter fashion it really nails it well and even improves upon some of the formula. And the acting's awesome, like it's it's all there. And then the show and then the ending of the show is just awful in that it literally makes me go 180 from like really loving the show to just like this sucks. Um and I like don't really want to go back to it. So I'd say up to episode 9, str- strong recommend. In the end, they fuck it up. They fuck it up. Uh, which they dropped the ball entirely, which sucks. But, um, but yeah, so over ca- just to recap the entire episode, The Duelist, highly recommend. Five out of five stars, nine out of ten, solid film if you haven't seen it yet. And uh, Dexter New Blood for the first nine episodes, you know, three out of five, seven out of ten. It's a good recommendation until the finale where I'd say the finale episode is like a one and a half out of five maybe like a three and a half out of 10. Like it's really, they bungled it, man. And I, that sucks. But, um, but yeah, so that concludes this episode of hot takes, amateur all tours. Hopefully I can do these a little bit more. I think this is going to be a nice conduit for me just to get my thoughts out. Um, I'm sorry that if I'm all over the place and it's not as structured and it's not as thorough, but just wanted to get my thoughts out on these two properties and, uh, hopefully I can get more. So as always guys, thanks for listening. You can follow the show on Twitter and a tours pod. Please leave a review, rating, like, whatever of the show on whatever platform you listen to on. As always, see you next time.